Everyone has an opinion when it comes to having a baby and raising kids. Just get the epidural. There's no prize for doing it natural. In my day, we just let the baby cry until they settle themselves down. Have you tried sage oil? And so many more comments, most of them unsolicited. Welcome to the Birth and Parenting Things podcast. My name is Kim, and I've got opinions too. I'm kind of an expert on birth. I've also managed to raise three babies into young adults. I'm here to offer evidence-based information, stories, personal experiences on birth, parenting, and everything in between. So let's do this. Hey there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I don't know when you watch, when you listen to this. <laughs> How is everybody doing? Things are crazy right now. Um, the world is starting to open up. Numbers are falling. We're venturing forth out into the world. We're getting vaccinated. So much is going on. And it's good. It's all good. It, I won't lie, it kind of sends me into a bit of a itchy situation. Um, now that, so doulas uh, in the Toronto area specifically, of course in the United States, I don't think this was much of an issue. Doulas were never prevented, I don't think, in many areas from attending births. But in Toronto, they are starting to open up and starting to, you know, allow people to have more than one support person, which is great. I, however, unfortunately, I am just because of some physical uh, issues I have and the fact that I'm 51 years old and <laughs> doing physical births is not exactly my forte anymore. Um, I think my strengths come at this point from my knowledge and being able to calm people in the eye of the storm. Um, as one of my clients, one of my recent virtual clients put it, I'm kind of like, um, what did he say? I'm uh, crisis management. So which I like, I like that sort of analogy of just, you know, hey, it's okay, what you're feeling is normal, and we can get through this. So um, as a result, I am really focusing now on still continuing to do virtual support. However, um, next Thursday, so a week yesterday uh, for me, I will be double vaccinated. So I'm very excited about that. And at that point, I will uh, probably start doing in-person postpartum visits, uh, particularly for breastfeeding support chest feeding support because, uh, because I think it's helpful. So my virtual, uh, birthing, my virtual birthing support will in another couple weeks, uh, move forward into virtual support for the labor, for pre-labor, the labor, um, but then offer, uh, one to two in-person visits. So I'm very excited about that. I get to see birthing parents again and babies get to see babies. I, I did a, an in-person visit uh, last week for someone who was having some issues with feeding and it was really nice to uh, be able to see somebody in person. I will admit my anxiety was over the top um, but I knew they were double vaccinated. They were both doctors and uh, they were 
I know, taking things extremely seriously. So they were double vaccinated. I was single vaccinated. We all wore masks. I kept my distance. I did not stay very long, um, but hopefully managed to help. So um, getting updates that things are going well. So I'm happy about that. Um, what else is new? Well, the uh, have a... I might as well say it here because this will this will be released today, but I only have six listeners, so who cares? Um, I have a launch starting of a new program that you can, it's not a podcast, it's a, it's a visual class that uh, workshop that you can take on infant care. So I'll be, I'm putting, currently filming and putting that together and I'm very excited to launch that. It'll basically be an infant care class. Uh, that you can take self-paced so watch you know whatever section you want uh, depending on what you want to learn and it will cover um, uh, what's it going to cover I'm in the middle of filming it right now Um, crying dressing baby what they will look like um, that incredible sleep that we always miss and and how to manage that Um, so I'm very, uh, excited to put that together. It's going to launch on July 26th. So I will post about that. You can follow my posts and Instagram, uh, Toronto doula group. And of course on Facebook at Toronto doula group. And, hmm, I think that's about it so far. So, um, yeah, so I thought today I'd talk about um, how to make, I don't know why I keep saying um, how to make a hospital birth feel less clinical. Because I think right now, the way hospital births are being done, they tend to be quite clinical. I mean, I think up until this point, we've been trying to make them as comfortable as possible with, you know, nice birthing rooms and wood cabinets and all of that stuff, making the room look less like a hospital room. But of course, with the pandemic and um, staff, hospital staff walking around, you know, in full PPE and face shields and all of that stuff, it does make things a little bit more uh, medically. (laughs) So I thought I'd talk about ways that you can help sort of make the birth at a hospital um, less, less medically and maybe a little bit more comfortable. So very important, I think, leading up to the labor itself and for the labor, especially early labor and and once you get to the hospital, is using some mental relaxation exercises. So definitely hypnobirthing has some stuff in it, which I talked about in a previous podcast. Hypnobirthing, there's certainly um, headspace, calm, things like that, that have, um, what do you say, relaxation, guided imagery, things like that, which can be, you know, really comfortable to listen to and kind of keep you in a good zone and a good place without, you know, causing things to be too stressful for you. So definitely consider looking into uh, various, actually, I probably need to write that down. I think I can probably record some um, for future use. Anyways, my brain is constantly turning right now. Um... What about wearing your own clothes? So I think one thing that happens when we get into the triage area or we get into the hospital itself, they kind of put you into a uniform, right? They they say, here's the blue gown, get into that, and we'll, and we'll get things ready for you. But you know that hospital gown, there's no law that says you have to wear it. 
right? You don't have to wear the blue gown. If you're more comfortable in your own clothing, then you should wear your own clothing. If that's going to, sometimes, I can't remember the study itself, but there was a study done um, a while ago, but it, and it wasn't an awesome study, but it really makes you think that putting that blue gown on from a psychological standpoint kind of puts your mindset into the idea of being a patient. You're in a hospital, you're a patient now, and you're sick. But having a baby is the one time you're going to come to the hospital when for the most part you're not actually sick you're just having a baby yes obviously there are going to be situations where you know you are not doing well um but for the most part when you go to a hospital to have a baby you're just having a baby there's nothing sort of you know illness wise surrounding you so Getting your mindset into that of being a patient and being sick, that's not always a good thing. And that can sometimes stall things down. It can sometimes make, um, you know, more medical interventions necessary if things stall out. So wear your own clothes. Now, keep in mind that what you wear is going to get schmutzy. It's going to get, you know, gross. Birth is not the cleanest thing you're ever going to do. But Wearing your own clothes, at least up until the point if you choose to get an epidural, then they're going to need access to your back. So the hospital gown makes sense at that point. However, I had a client once and wearing that hospital gown was really kind of the last thing on her list that, you know, they had to get rid of. So with this birth plan, with this birth wish list, um we'd pretty much obliterated all of it. It ended up being an induction, everything that they wanted kind of flew out the window. But the last thing on the list was kind of wearing their own clothing. Well, it came to the point where she decided she needed to get an epidural. She decided that this was the best option for her. So, but she didn't want to wear the blue gown. (laughs) There was a discussion between everybody that she had to put on the blue gown because we had to see the, we had to have access to the back and all that stuff. Okay. So after some back and forth and some arguments, um, that she wasn't going to put the blue gown on, they actually, what they ended up doing was cutting up the back of the shirt that she was wearing. So she was able to continue to wear the shirt that she wanted and the clothing that she wanted. And, not have to wear this stupid blue gown. So um, that's definitely an option or a possibility if you don't love this shirt that you're currently wearing, Um, if you don't mind them sort of cutting up the back of it. It's definitely something you can negotiate for. You can also just be naked. I mean, if you wanted to just wear, you know, nothing up top, that's totally fine too. Um, When you get into the hospital as well, you might want to consider dimming the lights. If, especially in the nighttime hours, it's nice to kind of dim the lights, make things a little bit more, um, you know, not romantic per se, but um, a little bit dimmer, a little bit calmer. Oxytocin in labor is really triggered by darkness. So that's kind of why labor, uh, one of the reasons why labor will start at night. So think about dimming the lights when you get in there, closing the curtains or the blinds if it's during the day and making things, making the atmosphere in the room a little bit more uh, calm and sedate. You know how it is when you dim the lights and things are, you know, you walk into a room that's dark. It kind of muffles the tones and it kind of um, makes people stop talking so much and all of that. And that can be very helpful in your labor. So uh, definitely something to consider there. 
Uh, let's see what else is on my list. Play music. So I constantly tell my classes, and I don't know if they do it or not. Um, I constantly tell my classes to uh, play music during their labor. Come up with a playlist uh, for early labor and a playlist for later labor. Music can set an atmosphere. Music can um, create an atmosphere in the room, not just for the birthing parent, but for everybody. So if you get into labor and things are, you know, not necessarily too, too exciting um, and you want to be mobile and moving around, try to have a playlist that has some more upbeat, dancing music, music that, you know, invokes memories and, you know, happy memories and, and happy connotations for you, but that's going to keep your body moving and keep you energized and, and whatnot. You know how music can do that. Or when things are a little bit more intense, when things are a little bit more quiet, try music that's more sedate and more, you know, not quite so exciting. That again can create an atmosphere in the room. But again, we want to we want to invoke from that music happy memories and um, calm situations and things like that. So not music that's going to make you cry because it's sad, but music that you know invokes memories of happy times and and things like that. Um, I had a client once who they had created a couple playlists and during the actual pushing stage uh at one point was the music was kind of it was kind of in the background it wasn't really loud or anything but the music was being played and you could hear it um it just wasn't sort of taking center stage and at one point the client stopped pushing listened for a second and realized the song that was playing rolled her eyes and then proceeded to push her baby out the song that she heard that her baby was born to was Billy Idol's White Wedding so that probably wasn't wasn't on the plan but it's definitely tells a story for afterwards um let's see what else we got what about if your hospital has uh in room showers or tubs why not hang out in there? If you do not have an epidural and are not sort of tied to the bed or tied to a machine with continuous fetal monitoring, go into the bathroom and and turn the lights down and, you know, get into the tub or get into the shower. You can also bring like, not obviously real candles, but you can bring, um, you know, those fake candles that are run by batteries and whatnot and, you know, set those up in the bathroom and again, turn the lights off, turn the candles on and just be in the water. That can be really, really wonderful and calming and relaxing. A hot bath or a hot shower is very relaxing. Uh, Let's see what else we got. So even if you are sort of tied to the machines or Uh, Not that you have an epidural, but maybe you're on Pitocin or things like that and you have to be continuously fetal monitored. Don't labor in the bed. If you don't have an epidural, just because you're continuously fetal monitored or you have Pitocin, that doesn't mean you have to lie down in bed. You can be outside the bed. You can be sitting on the ball. You can be slow dancing next to the machine. The cords are actually quite long. And some Um, hospitals actually have what are called telemetry machines or wireless monitoring systems. Ask for one of those and see if they have one of those. Just because things are becoming medical doesn't mean you actually have to get into the hospital bed and sit and wait, especially if you don't have an epidural. That can make things 
even worse. So get out of the bed, labor outside the bed, sit in a chair beside the monitors, um, you know, be off the monitors for a certain period of time, negotiate for yourself to be off the monitors for a certain period of time. You have to be taken off the monitors every time you go to the bathroom. So go to the bathroom a few times um, to just sort of step away from that and, and sit on that toilet for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it takes to just <sighs> shake that medical stuff away and then you can come back to it. Uh, let's see, have more than one supportive support person. So as I say, many hospitals nowadays are allowing more than one support person in, particularly in Ontario. So having more than one support person with you can be extremely helpful. However, make sure that person that you choose outside of your main partner, your main support person, make sure that person is actually supportive and actually helpful and go over the birth plan with them beforehand. Just don't have, hey, you know, sister, come into, come into my birth, but not have a discussion beforehand about what is expected of them, what is expected of the birth, what your plans and hopes and wishes are, because you might get somebody who's like, well, why aren't you just getting the epidural? You should just get the epidural. You should just do this. You should just do that. And it's like, you know what? That's not helpful what I need to do is labor and I need you to be supportive of my choices for laboring, however that happens to look like. My dad used to call them the why don't you people. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? Um, and he hated why don't you people. Now, having said that, my mother has actually become quite a big why don't you person. However, as much as she is, um, I love her to death. She is extremely supportive of me. So, um, no, why don't you people in your birth? Okay. <laughs> actually have people who are going to be supportive and support your choices and, you know, actually be there and be helpful. I remember when my mom was in the birth for my second son, um, it was a really great birth actually. It was very calm. And even though it was an induction and we did have an epidural, it was very calm and relaxing. And she was extremely helpful, not just to me, but to my partner as well. Um, so have somebody who's going to be supportive. You need supportive support people, not just support people. Um, let's see what else is on my list. Oh, so try and stay home as long as possible. If you can, if you are managing well and you can hang out at home, do that. The longer you can stay at home, and I'm not suggesting you have a home birth, but the longer you can stay at home until you really, I heard it described once, until you just can't hold the walls up any longer, then go to the hospital, depending on how far away from the hospital you are. The longer you can stay at home, the less medical your birth can become because the less time they have to do anything to you. So I know this makes it sound like I think hospitals are bad places. I 100% do not. I actually feel for me, laboring in a hospital and birthing in a hospital is my go-to choice. I know I'm a doula and I'm supposed to be like all pro pro natural birth air quotes um and home birth and all that stuff i'm actually not i do see benefits to um having a hospital birth and i always feel super comfortable there and i always feel super comfortable um you know laboring and birthing there having said that i am a you know white woman who was in a you know partnership not everybody gets those same 
the same treatment and whatnot in hospitals, but that's, that's another podcast. Um, so, you know, if you are comfortable at home, be at home, be at home until labor is in its full swing and then go to the hospital. If you get there at one, two centimeters dilated, they may or may not send you home. And then if they don't, that's when things start happening. That's when the medical stuff starts coming into play. If everything is good and everybody's happy and comfortable, stay home if you can. That's not a bad thing. All right. So those are my tips and tricks for, um, you know, having as less clinical a birth as possible. Um, I thought now I would talk about uh, having a toddler. <laughs> I know um, I don't, I, you have six, I have six listeners, so I don't know. I don't know how many babies you have. Um, and like kudos to Bermuda for putting me back on the podcast, um, Apple Music, Apple Podcast list. I had fallen off the list um, at some point, which is fine. I don't really expect to be there. I have six freaking listeners. Um, But then got notification that at one point I was number one, like two weeks ago. Bermuda, do you have only like four people that listen to podcasts on your entire island? What the heck? So um, shout out to Bermuda for being ridiculously awesome and my, you know, one Bermudian uh, listener and all the support you give. I super appreciate you. All right. So I thought I'd talk about toddlers and how hilarious it is to have one and that sometimes you really have to dig deep in your well of patience to actually get through and deal with them look they are little terrors they are you know these little three foot humans that are sent to this earth to try your patience so I just posted this on my Facebook parenting page and it's I had read a tweet a little while ago, a couple weeks ago, um, about someone who was dealing with their child who had swallowed a coin. They'd swallowed a dime or a nickel or something. How do we even still have coins? Um, But they had swallowed a coin and I'm like, oh my God, I remember the time. I was sitting there on the couch and I was feeding uh, my daughter. I think she was about maybe six to nine months old at that point. I can't really remember. She was still breastfeeding, but um, we were sitting there on the couch and my middle son must have been about three or four, maybe. And I'm sitting there, we were watching TV. I don't remember, probably Caillou or something ridiculous like that. And he had some toys and whatnot in front of him and he was playing, but his back was to me and he was watching, facing the TV. And then suddenly I saw his shoulders sort of go up and down quickly, like he took in a big gulp of air. And it suddenly hit me, oh my God. I said, what did you just swallow? Because he had a penchant for putting stuff in his mouth constantly. He was constantly putting small things in his mouth. Used to have to scoop things out of his mouth all the time. I swear to God, if I'd had to call... um, if I had to call poison control one more time, I was pretty sure they were, I was going to be on CPS's, uh, Child Protective Services, um, or CAS, I guess it is in Canada. Um, I was going to be on their radar fast. So, of course, all I see is he swallowed something. And I, I yell at him, what did you just swallow? 
And he turns around and he looks at me and he says nothing. He's got these big blue eyes and he just looks at me like he's terrified. And I'm thinking, you should be terrified, buddy. And he says nothing. And I go, what the hell did you just swallow? And I look down and he's got these, or he opens his hand and he's got these little silver round metal balls that had come with a, my older son had a construction building, you know, magnets, metal balls to create these, you know, different shapes and things like that. So it was basically a silver metal ball bearing about the size of a... Mm, chickpea maybe I'm like oh crap so I de-latch my daughter I call my mom you've got to come over Thomas has just swallowed something I've got to take him to emergency so my mom comes over as quick as as quick as lightning actually <laughs> she comes over she takes my daughter and I pop him in the car and we go to the hospital now it's about November I think at this point and um first snowfall so we'd gotten in there. It was actually snowing quite badly. We get in there and it's like, of course, first snowfall, everybody's falling, everybody's getting into car accidents, all of this stuff. So we get there and of course you walk in with a child, you're kind of shunted to the front of the list because they don't really want to have to deal with children, I don't think. Um, not necessarily the front of the list, but we did certainly move up. Um, we were triaged up a little bit further. And of course, where he has to get an x-ray to see what's going on so we go in and we're sitting in this hallway and there's like people left and right with broken legs and broken arms and all of this stuff we're sitting there and I'm fuming I'm like Jesus Christ this kid so we get into we get in he gets his x-ray we go upstairs to the pediatric area and sure enough he swallowed this ball bearing and it's just sitting there now, thankfully, he didn't swallow anything um, magnetic. He just swallowed the ball bearing. So if he had swallowed anything magnetic along with it, probably would have had to have had surgery to remove it because if they connect together um, between the walls on opposite sides of areas of the uh, intestines, then they're not going to come out. So um, thankfully, that didn't happen. And they basically send me home with a sieve, <laughs> a strainer, um, and said, you know, watch for it to come, check his poop, and watch for it to watch for it to come out. And if it doesn't come out within a week, come back. I'm like, oh God, here I am now. I have to. I'm dealing with a daughter who's in diapers, and now I'm having to deal with a three and four year old who's in essence potty trained, um, and have to follow and watch his poop. So shoot me now. A week goes by. I'm checking poop. I'm literally up to my elbows in poop at this point. And nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay, great. So I go to, um, we go back to the hospital. We have an appointment one week later. We go back to the hospital and we go for a, we go for a, uh, what do you call it? An x-ray. And we get there but they're having a problem with the system so they can't uh, send the they can't send the results up to the pediatric area okay fine um, but the guy says the guy said to the technician it's going to take a couple of hours to get up there um, we're working on it we're doing our best but tell the doctor I've seen the 
And he was not just the technician. I think he was actually the radiologist. Um, he said, look, tell them that I've seen the x-ray and that your son is about to make a deposit probably the next time he goes to the bathroom. I'm like, okay. So we go up, we tell them that, and they're like, okay, um, go home. If in a few days, again, it still doesn't come out, then call us back. So sure enough, we get, and we've been at the hospital for freaking hours. Sure enough, we get home. He goes directly into the bathroom, poops, and there's the ball bearing. I'm like, oh my God, you couldn't have done this poop like before we left for the appointment. Um, <laughs> but no. So, and let's keep in mind, like this particular kid, he pooped every single time he peed. So he pooped multiple times a day. <sighs> Anyways, uh, very clean system he has. So I usually tell my classes, especially the infant care class, like, look, you're about to be up to your elbows in poop. Not just baby's poop, but your poop. And it doesn't end when they get out of diapers. All right. So that's my story. Um, oh, we also had a... I was going to tell the story of uh, my kids eating and being sort of rebellious. So I, I used to make meatloaf and I don't know, I'm, I'll, I 100% admit I am not the greatest cook, but I mean, the meatloaf wasn't terrible, but my son hated eating meatloaf. So at the time he was maybe about five or six, I think, probably around the same time frame as the ball bearing story. Um... And he was really into country music. I have pictures of him like with a big black cowboy hat on. I have video somewhere in this house of him singing uh, Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman, um, jumping on the couch <laughs> at the age of like five or six. So at the time, he was really into this country music and his favorite was Kenny Chesney. Well, um, he wouldn't eat this meatloaf. So I convinced him uh, over the span of time that this meatloaf was actually not my recipe. This was not my meatloaf. This was actually Kenny Chesney's mom gave me this recipe and I made the meatloaf. So this is like Kenny Chesney meatloaf. Well, he ate it all up at that point um, and finally decided that, yeah, he was good. He was going to, he was going to eat this meatloaf now, but I'm like, Jesus Christ, the lies we tell our kids. And then another time we had, um, I don't know if it was meatloaf or not. I can't remember the actual food, but this was when, I don't know, maybe people don't have land, people don't necessarily have landlines anymore. But if you remember when you were younger and your parents had a landline, you could go from, you know, when you picked it up, you could dial like a number and then the dial tone would go away. So we, my husband went, my ex-husband went downstairs and picked up the phone and and I picked up the other end and we had uh, Shaggy, <laughs> Shaggy and Scooby um, call and tell my son that, you know, the food that he was going to be eating was like one of Shaggy's favorite food. And of course, every food is Shaggy's favorite food. Um, and my ex-husband did a... Uh, a great Scooby-Doo, um, Shaggy. Actually, I guess it was Scooby-Doo. It was a Scooby-Doo impression, um, of Scooby-Doo the dog that the food was really good and he should probably eat it. And he started eating it at that point. I'm like, Oh my God, look, 
when your kid won't eat what what you want them to eat, you can get ridiculously creative if you need to. So uh, find out who your kid's favorite things are (laughs) and make sure that you get the recipe from their mother for all the foods that they like. All right, that's me. That's my stories for the day. Um, I hope you have enjoyed this. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any stories about things that your parents did to you or that you're doing with your kids to get them to eat stuff or maybe ways that you had a birth that was maybe less clinical um, and what you did, I'd love to hear it. You can email me at birthandparentythings at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Toronto Doula Group. And of course, you can follow me on Facebook as well at Toronto Doula Group. And I hope you have a really good summer. I hope it isn't raining too much where you are. It's been raining for like a week and a half now where I live. And I'm literally on the verge of crying every time the heavens open because I swear my basement's going to flood. Knock on wood. Just going to knock. So hang in there. Have a great day. And... Bye.